if you have fewer choices and more engagement, your kid's going to be happier and hopefully less wasteful because all that really matters is when that product comes home, is your kid going to play with it for an hour? Are they going to play with it for years? Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Joining me today is Mari Collins. She and her husband created an app called Catch Shop that helps teach kids to prioritize things they really love and learn to save towards those special purchases. Her hope is to change the way families shop, to focus on quality educational items that kids buy for themselves rather than a million knickknacks designed for a landfill. Today, our conversation will focus on intentional consumption, choice overload in children, teaching responsibility and accountability to younger kids, and much more. I'm actually in the process of editing this episode as I'm recording this intro, and I have been thinking a lot about end of life and mortality. We lost my aunt about a month ago, just really unexpectedly, and it's had me thinking a lot about the things that I own, why I own them, and One thing that has struck me is that as my parents have been going through her things and going through her home, it has me thinking a lot about the things that I'll leave behind one day. And my hope in sharing this with you isn't to overwhelm you, to scare you, or hopefully if you've recently lost someone, to shame you in the process of needing to go through these things or to quickly move through these things. I know that grief comes in waves and it's unexpected the reminder here isn't even minimalism necessarily but at least for me it's been a good reminder to consider why it is that I own things because at some point someone's going to be going through my things grieving and not knowing what I want done with my things and also on the flip side of all of that is why am I, while I'm here, consuming the things that I do consume? What is it that is driving me to make the purchases that I'm making? And I don't know, maybe you're listening to this and you think it's bizarre that I'm having such questions at a time like this, but my goal with this part of the episode is to always be honest with my listeners and to share where I'm at mentally and to inspire you in your own pursuits of a life with less. What does that look like? And how can we consider something such as this, such as death, as we're trying to live a more intentional life in the time that we have? Just something to consider. Hi, Mari. Thanks so much for joining me again today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Hi, I'm so glad to be back. (laughs) So I say again, because you and I actually had recorded this conversation, I guess a couple months ago. And after going through it, we talked so long on our Zoom call that it stopped and we started another one and I've lost that second part of the conversation. So we're like, let's just chat again and re-record the conversation. So I'm glad to have you back here. I'm glad that we're finally going to get this conversation out to the listeners of the Minimalist Moms podcast. We're going to be talking about teaching self-regulation, intentional consumption, choice overload in children, all of this really 
really fascinating stuff. And it all centered on an app that you created called Ketchup. So let's first introduce you to the listeners and then we'll get into the app and then talk a little bit more about what I just described. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? So my name is Mari Harris and I am a mother of three. I have a two and a half year old, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, believe it or not. My house is very noisy and often messy. And so my husband and I have put together an app for families and it's called Ketchup. It is essentially a tool to help parents organize the products that their children want to buy and are saving up towards. So it focuses on teaching children responsible spending as well as kind of clutter management. Tell me what your background is and what prompted you to begin this app. So I have a background in design. I went to UC Berkeley for fine arts, and then I bopped around the Bay Area for a while. I did copywriting. I did script writing. I did a lot of UI design, UX design. Since then, I have moved up to Tahoe, and I've been doing more mostly graphic design. And so my husband... We work together really well because I do everything you see and the things you realize are happening. And he's like behind the scenes, making sure that all the little pieces connect. It's kind of how our relationship works as well. So back in 2020, I don't know if you remember, but a lot of us were staying home a lot during that period of time. And my son really, really wanted a RC car. And I'm one of those moms who I don't like things with batteries. I don't like things that make noise. I don't want things that are going to rip up my lawn. But he was so adamant about it. So he struck a deal, which was he could have the RC car if he saved up enough money to buy it. So he was picking up pine cones cones and raking leaves and vacuuming and doing all this stuff. And we paid him. But then when he finally had enough money saved up, he was like, okay, when are we going to the store? Like, oh, we're not. So how about we go on Amazon? And we just looked and there were literally 500,000 RC cars to choose from. And he wanted to look at every single one. And he kept being seduced by everything that he saw. There'd be an ad for a candy bar or there'd be an ad for a skateboard and he'd get distracted and be going on all these tangents. And I was just, all I wanted to do was keep him focused on the goal that he worked so hard to get to. And then with so many options, it took us forever. And I couldn't just let him choose and walk away because he was signed into Amazon with my credit card. And who knows what's going to happen there. I know that I don't want my son to buy any old thing he wants. It was really frustrating. And it was this experience where it should have been joyful. It should have been rewarding. I was looking forward to it being a learning experience for him. And we ended up just arguing and being bummed and disappointed. After that, I was just thinking about how could that experience have been better. What I really wanted was just to be able to curate a couple of toys that would have been appropriate for his age and his budget and then let him choose which one of those toys he wanted. And there's nothing out there that does that. So we built Ketchup, which basically allows parents to curate a selection of toys and put them in a shop for their child. And then they can hand over the device to a child and give them the experience of shopping for themselves, deciding how much money they want to spend, which products they want to choose from. And because everything is parent approved, the child can then initiate a purchase by themselves. And then after that, the parent can just approve the purchase and say, okay, it's on its way. The reason I love your app is because I do think it gives kids the freedom to make the choice 
but I also like it because we can kind of help direct that choice, especially if they're younger. For example, my kids had a lemonade stand this summer and they immediately wanted to go spend the $35 that they made, which I'm like, that's pretty impressive. You made $35. But anyways, I was like, no, you can't spend it. But then that's not really teaching them the best habits long-term. So I think there is some gray area here. And that's why I like the freedom to kind of dictate the list and then allow them to make those decisions. Yeah. At some point, your kids are going to make financial mistakes. And the idea is you want them to do it while they're young. You want them to spend their $35 on snacks that they eat up in one day and suddenly they have belly aches. They're like, well, that was a bad choice rather than protect them from those mistakes until they're 20 and then they have a credit card and then they go into $100,000 of debt. So giving kids the freedom to have choice, but within a safe range is really kind of our goal as a company. And I mean, I still make frivolous purchases from time to time, even living a minimalist lifestyle for 11 plus years, it happens. And sometimes it's okay. And sometimes it's okay because it teaches you every moment is a teaching moment for the future in one way or another. So I guess I need to take that pressure off myself to have kids that are making the perfect financial decisions because again, they're kids and they're going to make mistakes. And that's why I wanted to talk to you because I think this is such a cool idea. I can totally agree with you about making frivolous choices as an adult even. Yesterday, I went Halloween shopping for my kids and I was agonizing over every single little purchase. I ended up spending like 60 bucks or something. And then five minutes later, I went out to lunch with my mom and brother-in-law and blew 70 bucks without even thinking. I want that croissant. I want that coffee. I want it all. Money is money regardless of where you spend it. But if it's intended for different purposes, you have different feelings about spending it. And also just getting them thinking about these things at a young age. I think that's really a great thing too. In general, I think back to my high school experience and things that I didn't know as an adult because I never learned them in school. So I think getting these conversations started at a younger age, I think it's only to their benefit. I totally agree. And I love that you brought up the education as a child, because I feel like in America, at least, we don't really have a formal structure for teaching kids about money. They might learn Econ 101 by the time they're in high school or even college. But those basic financial management skills and understanding skills, we just kind of think that they'll pick it up by watching us, which they will to a certain degree. But we have to be willing to include them in how we make those decisions, why we chose to buy the less expensive milk or the larger can of beans instead of the smaller one. And just being willing to talk about why you're making these purchasing decisions along with your kids is super helpful and helps you set up a framework so that your kids are able to make those good decisions when they're older. So I want to talk a little bit more about choice overload. You said with the RC car, if you log onto Amazon, there are so many options to choose from, but you were just like, I just need three. I just need three to choose from and compare. So what have you learned through creating this app about choice overload? Oh my gosh, it's so interesting. This is one of my favorite topics. Humans always want more choices. We think that the more choices we have, the more likely we are to choose the very best thing. And heaven forbid, we shouldn't get the very best thing. But there's been a lot of research lately into how happy we are after we make the choice. And it indicates that when you choose from a smaller set, you end up happier with your choice than if you have a lot more options. I think the most famous example of this is in the year 2000, there was a jam experiment 
And what they did was they offered customers to taste either 24 jams in some stores or six jams in other stores. And the people who got 24 choices, they loved tasting them all, but fewer people actually bought jam. And those who did were less happy with the result than when you only had six options. The stores hearing that started offering fewer sample options because they're like, well, we want people to buy. But from a consumer perspective, it's also really interesting because if you have more options to choose from, no matter what you choose, you might say, oh man, I love strawberry, but if I leave the raspberry behind, is that the right choice? It was so close. Another study that I really, really love is focused on children and the effects of choice overload with them. And it was run out of Northwestern University, a researcher named Mikal Maimaran. She put a bunch of kids into a room and gave them either two Curious George books or seven Curious George books to choose from. And so these were all pre-readers, so they weren't necessarily going to be reading it, but they got to look at the books for as long as they wanted. The kids who chose between two books spent more time reading the book and less time choosing. When they had seven books, they spent a lot of time choosing, but only a little bit of time engaged with the book that they ended up choosing. And her theory is that perhaps you only have enough attention for one thing, and that turns into choosing. If you have lots of choice, it's fun to look at everything you can pick from. And so the kids were spending all of their energy choosing, but then when they actually had the book, they'd kind of run out of gas. Whereas the kids who had fewer choices knew exactly which book was more appealing, and then they spent a lot more time looking at it. So we built ketchup on this idea that if you have fewer choices and more engagement, your kids going to be happier and hopefully less wasteful because all that really matters is when that product comes home, is your kid going to play with it for an hour? Are they going to play with it for years? So I love the idea of setting up a framework Mm -hmm. to make sure that your kids have a good opportunity to be successful and learn these tricks to not being wasteful and reusing things and continuing to play with toys. Yeah, I've heard it put FOBO. So it's the fear of better options. And I like that. Yeah. Once you make a decision, you're like, was that the right decision? Should I have chosen differently? Would I be happier if I chose differently? It's like this being dissatisfied perpetually because you just keep comparing what you should have done versus like what other people have done. And again, I think there's a benefit to knowing the way that other people have used a product, but also we're all so different. And maybe even if you gave something two stars, I talk to my husband about this all the time. Like what a benefit and what a blessing to live in this day and age of technology and access. And yet it also seems like there is a darker side of that access to things is overwhelming and it can cause like overeating if we have access to food. Like we have more food options now than we ever have on the face of the earth. And I think that like our brains weren't necessarily wired for that, or maybe we weren't wired to have the access so quickly as we have had it. Look at the nineties compared to now. There have been radical changes in our accessibility of, again, fill in the blank with so many things. I don't think that we're necessarily healthier now than we were in the nineties. Well, it's interesting you bring up your struggle with FOBO which is a new term I'm going to add to my personal dictionary. I didn't put it. I read it once. It's really interesting because I think in child rearing, there is a lot of pressure to make sure your kid is learning piano and doing team sports and doing individual sports and taking art.
art lessons. And if you don't do all of these things with your kid, they're going to fall behind or not reach their full potential somehow. One of my personal heroes is Emily Oster, who's written a bunch of books on pregnancy, early childhood development. And she's an economist who focuses on what the numbers say rather than traditional wisdom. One of the topics in her book, The Family Firm, is nothing comes for free. These extracurricular activities, you don't find time for them out of nowhere. So if you are deciding that your child's going to be an ice skating champion, that might mean that your family's not eating dinner together. And is that a trade-off that you're willing to do? Or if you decide that you guys are going to go sign up for a week-long soccer camp, that means that you aren't going to go on the family vacation that you were planned. And so there's always these trade-offs that you have to make. And it's easy to think that you can just add and add and add and put more and more into your life. But you're always giving something up, even if you don't realize it. This is kind of like outside of what you're talking about, but you're talking about giving up. Saying yes to one thing is a no to the other and saying no to something is saying yes to another. I like to think about that a lot when it comes to my decision-making. But mm-hmm. about like successful people when it comes to their wardrobe, do you remember how Steve Jobs, he would only wear, I think it was like a black shirt. The black turtleneck. Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. this man was a genius and he wore the same thing every day. He had the accessibility to whatever designers he would want to wear. But he's like, no, I don't need all those choices. I'm just going to simplify and make this choice. And he was saying yes to his creativity. And he was saying yes to innovation. And he was saying no to like something that was seemingly superficial. Don't get me wrong. I love clothes, but I just think it's curious how these people that are in high up positions, there's another celebrity designer. And I can't think of what her name is that I've heard about that wears the same thing all the time. I just talked to Tracy McCubbin on my podcast the other day. And I think she bought three pairs of the same jeans and wears a white shirt. I think she said every day to her client's home. So it's something that she doesn't have to think about. So when we can just think now for the future, what decision do I want to make now that I know I'll carry through in the future? Because I know in the future, I'm going to make more decisions. It's just kind of getting on top of the decision fatigue. You have to prioritize what's important to you ahead of time so that you're not making those painful decisions on the fly. That might be decisions about time, decisions about objects or about money and how you want to spend any of those things. If you have a framework and a strategy in place before you go into any situation, you'll know, oh, family dinner is important to me. So I'm not going to schedule anything that conflicts with family dinner. I think having that framework is so important because it helps you make those decisions without agonizing about it or feel like you're making choices without knowing if it's really the right thing. If you're spending time with loved ones for the holidays, chances are you're going to hear a lot of stories, the ones you love to hear and the ones you've heard too many times. But have you ever wanted to help your loved ones document those timeless stories? It can be challenging to write an entire book of life memories, but StoryWorth makes it fun and easy, and this is how anyone can write a book about their life. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a single life-related question that you pick from their collection. Questions you've never thought to ask, like what have been some of your life's greatest surprises and what's one of the riskiest things you've ever done? My dad has already begun to fill out some of the questions and his answers have cracked me up. It's so fun to hear about the differences from his childhood in the 1950s until now. The questions he's answered are ones that I hadn't necessarily thought to ask but will now have record of for years to come. All they have to do is reply with the story. 
Then after a year, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories, memories, and even any photos into an exquisite hardcover book, creating a valued keepsake, the perfect coffee table book. Help your family share their story this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com minimalist today and save $10 off your first purchase. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com minimalist to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com minimalist. My whole idea of this podcast was what you've learned by starting this app in regards to psychology behind our purchasing decisions. So how would you say that you've learned about raising financially savvy kids? Okay. One of the main things I've been focused on in my family is developing what's called executive function skills. And so you hear these terms thrown around a lot because there's a wide range of things that can fall under that category, but it's basically developing the skills that will lead them to being successful in their life. Basically, it's the ability to make and follow a plan, adapt, understand categories, delay your gratification and reflect on your life. So for example, let's say we were going to make a plan for our Saturday. We're going to do our chores. We're going to get dressed. We're going to go for a bike ride and then we're going to get ice cream. The kid has to be able to understand we need to do each of these things in order. Remember what we need to do. Remember what comes next. So they have the ability to predict what's coming and follow through with this because they know they have to do that to get the ice cream. So then we do our chores. We get dressed, we go for a bike ride. And then when we get to the ice cream shop, maybe it's closed. So we have to be able to adapt to that problem that we didn't foresee. So maybe we go to the bakery instead. And so we can change based on the new circumstances. We get to the bakery and let's say my kid is gluten-free and we're like, oh shoot. Okay. We have to figure out which snacks are okay for you to eat and which ones are not. So we need to know, okay, you can eat a mochi donut or you can have that almond cake. And then afterwards, knowing the ability to delay the gratification. So that might be, okay, we're all going to order treats, but we're going to wait until we get to the park and sit down to eat the snacks. We're not going to shove them in our face as soon as the uh, baker hands them to us. So being able to do all these things helps them in their adult life to be able to live successfully and not make impetuous decisions and not get stuck when things don't go to plan. A good way, if we went through this whole day, a good way to make sure that these things really sink in is to talk about the experience afterwards. Like, hey, do you remember where we rode our bikes? And wait, why didn't we get ice cream? I thought that was the plan. And what was your favorite thing we did today? What was your least favorite thing? So just being able to talk about these things and go through their understanding of it really, really helps them develop these skills. Maybe they thought we didn't get ice cream because they didn't ride their bikes fast enough. Just listening to them and being like, oh, wow, they had a different understanding of this than I did. And being able to talk it through so that they understand it wasn't that reason. It was because the ice cream shop is closed every Saturday. Yeah. Working on developing executive function skills in our everyday activities helps them in financial matters. It helps them in school. It helps them finish the soccer camp that we put them in. It's been really super helpful to go through with a structure so that I, as a parent, can do my best. Oh, this is also good. I don't want to let you go before I ask you the final question I was thinking about in regards to goal setting. It's where we ended on our mm-hmm. last episode and it was the, actually the part that got cut off. So hopefully you can share with us again, how you think that catch up is beneficial in goal setting. And I want to know what you've learned about goal setting with kiddos when it comes to your app. For reaching goals, I think it's super important to set up boundaries so the kids know what to expect. 
let's say your kid's goal was to buy a new bike. They need to know that when they're working towards a bike, they can set money aside just for that. And then they can have the money they use for snacks and stuff. But they know ahead of time that all the money isn't going to the bike or all the money isn't for snacks. Making sure the kid understands these guidelines so they know what to expect in the future. Helping them by breaking this job into bite-sized tasks. So if this bike is, let's say, $500, that's a lot of money for a kid. So maybe you celebrate and say, okay, every time you reach another $50, that means we're a tenth of the way there. So when you reach... $50, we'll have a dance party celebration. When you reach $100, we'll have another one and so on and so forth so that they feel that there is something that they can win at along the way. In that same way, you want to praise the effort along the way, not the result. You don't withhold the praise until they reach the $500. Yay, you get your new bike. You want to help them celebrate the small milestones along the way so they feel encouraged. And they also see that their efforts are paying off because in the end, whether or not they decide to buy the bike is besides the point. It's the fact that they're following through with something that they said they were going to do and they're trying hard, even if they don't do it perfectly. Finally, I think consequences should be positive if you can, and they should be connected to what the problem was. So for example, let's say your kid was saving up towards that bike and they decide to blow $100 on bunch of toys that weren't on their goal. So yeah, that stinks because they're not going towards their goal. But I wouldn't say, oh, you blew your money, no TV for a week. Because it's like TV is not related to the goal you're setting. You would say, oh, well, I guess we're not going to have a dance party because the money that you were saving is gone. And I guess you're further from your goal. So in that case, it's showing a natural consequence for making a mistake rather than kind of an arbitrarily dictated by a parent punishment. So by having boundaries so kids know what to expect, breaking the job up and celebrating along the way, it really helps kids feel like they're making progress towards their goal, which is really the important thing. Was there anything that we missed that you wanted to share with the listeners before we wrap this up? One thing that I do, and my kids absolutely love this, is when my kids do make mistakes, like maybe they're mean or they don't listen or they just do some bonehead choice. I always tell them about times when I was a kid that I failed or made a bad decision and then how I persevered or how I picked myself up after that. And just hearing the idea that parents made bad mistakes, it's funny it's relatable and it helps kids understand that like, even though this is a big deal right now in the long term, it'll be okay. One of their favorite stories is I tried to steal chocolate from my uncle's house. And so I grabbed a bunch of Hershey's kisses and shoved them into my pockets. This was when I was a child, not recently, (laughs) but I shoved all these Hershey's kisses into my pockets and like left them in there and my body heat melted them. And so my pants just turned completely brown. It looked like I'd pooped my pants. And that was the last time I ever put chocolate in my pocket. These kind of stories talking about, I made a bad decision. I stole chocolate. I put it in my pocket. My kids know this story back to front and they love to tell it. And they always like, they're like, never put chocolate in your pocket. So (laughs) having the ability to share your own failures really helps your kids be able to relate to them. I think that that was maybe something missing with the previous generation, just wanting to make sure that they had 
this is totally a generalization by the way, but just wanting to have more of a buttoned up look to your kids. But I think that vulnerability and authenticity does a lot more in the long run. And I'm not saying you have to share every detail of your poor choices, but I think that (laughs) there's just a humility there that I think is really good to see with your parents. So I definitely agree with that. The age of father knows best. um, Yeah. Didn't really raise very emotionally intelligent children. Sure. Yeah. Again, generalization, but yes, I would agree. So Mari, where can listeners find you if they want to connect with you online or download the app? You can go check out our app at www.ketchup.com. That's K-E-T-S-H-O-P, like ketchup, but ketchup. And from there, you can find links to download. We are also available on the App Store and Google Play. And then if you want to check us out on Facebook or Instagram, we are at ketchup-app. And I would love to hear feedback from other people who are struggling with some of the same regulation issues with their kids. As we wrap things up here, I'm going to ask you the two questions that I ask every guest. And the first one is, what has been a beneficial resource to you that you want to share with the listeners? So I have been doing HIIT workouts for the last five or six years, and I love them. I am not the kind of person who runs ultra marathons or can spend a lot of time working out, but I do care about my health quite a bit. So I love these high intensity interval training workouts because it's like a half hour of just totally kicking my butt and then I'm good to go for the day. So yeah, I love that. It's kept me healthy and it takes up very little time. I did that yesterday with Benji. I was pushing him in the stroller and I was like, I only ended up doing it for six minutes, but I did a minute run in the stroller and then 30 seconds off. And I just did that for six months. Again, baby steps, people. But I could not believe how much my heart rate got up because again, I was going full out for a minute pushing a stroller. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Six minutes is tough. Yeah. So I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to critique myself that it's not even 10 minutes. I'm just going to do this until I get to the end of my street and then I'm going to be done. And that's what I'm going to do today. And I'm going to keep trying to build up. And so I think HIIT workouts are great for that. Well, and pushing a stroller too, that's like added resistance, right? (laughs) Yeah, right, right. All right. Well, my last question for you is what is something that you can't stop talking about? I have been a member of Tahoe's Connection for Families, which is a early childhood development and parenting advice organization here in Tahoe. And it is amazing. It is literally provided all the advice I rely on as a parent. They do have a podcast now. So even if you're not in the Tahoe area, you can tune in. The founder, Lorraine Meyer, just has such sensible advice that really values and respects kids. Just being able to hear something that's like, oh, that totally makes sense. That really resonates with me. Of course, that's why a child would think that. And it's super community oriented. And I've met most of my local friends there. So yeah, the Tahoe's Connection for Families podcast, I highly recommend it. Tune in. It's very casual, informal, but in like 12 minutes, you can get answers to everything that's bothering you about your little kids. That's one of those examples I was talking about earlier of the accessibility to information and to the people in our community. Like that's such a cool thing that we can just go online shoot out a question really fast and get a ton of suggestions. Sometimes it can be dark depending on. Yeah. Don't Google it. Don't Google how to potty train your kid because it won't turn out well. Or I'm just saying like people in general can be incredibly cruel on the internet when they would never say things like that to your face. But I feel like this is a good ending of this conversation. It kind of wraps back to what we were talking about there at one point. So again, Mari, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad we were able to reconnect and get this done. It was great talking to you again. 
What did you think of the episode? If you enjoyed this conversation, I want to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. Leaving a rating and review is the best way you can help this podcast continue to succeed and grow. Again, thank you to everyone who supports The Minimalist Moms by listening, leaving those rating and reviews, or following along on social media at Minimalist Moms Podcast. As always, I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com, and there you can find links to the Instagram account, my Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.